Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. This teaching is from the series, Jesus, the King Who Came to Die, a study of the Gospel of Mark. This dynamic, fast-paced book gives the story of Jesus the Messiah, God's Son, the King, who came to suffer and die to save His people. We hope this helps you understand and apply God's Word in your life today. So we're going to be continuing in Mark chapter 7. We're taking three weeks actually to look at Mark 7 verses 1 to 23. And this week we're going to be really focusing on verses 14 to 23. Mark chapter 7, it'll be up here on the screen, also in your booklets and follow along in your Bibles. So Mark chapter 7, beginning at verse 14, hear now the word of your Creator and your Redeemer. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. And after he had left the crowd and entered the house, the disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked. Don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach, and then out of his body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts come evil thoughts sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside a man and make him unclean. Back in the 1700s, an Anglican minister named Jonathan Swift wrote a book that was called Gulliver's Travels. And many of you have probably heard of the book, though very few of us generally seem to have read it these days. You might have caught a movie. But in it, this man, Gulliver, travels to four distinct countries. And one of the countries, probably the most famous one that he travels to, is the country of Lilliput. And in Lilliput, the, there's these people, the Lilliputians, who are tiny little people that he is there meeting and learning about through them in their way of life. And again, this was a satire that Swift was writing about current British society and other places in Europe. And in it, we read that there was a war going on between the Lilliputians and the people of Blefescu. And they were fighting uh, largely because of the very important question of which end you should break a boiled egg on. There were the little Indians who said you should break it on the little end, and the big Indians who said, no, 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 you're supposed to break the egg on the big end. And this, this had broke out because there were, uh, their religion had a writing that said the egg should be broken on the convenient end, which would seem to mean whichever one you wanted. But no, they, they had had a thing where an emperor of Lilliput many years before, his son had cut his finger when breaking the egg on the larger end. So they decreed that in Lilliput, the convenient end was always the small end, 
But the people of Bethesda said, no, it was the big end. And this would seem to be minor, but we're told that there had been six rebellions and one emperor had even lost his life and another his crown fighting on whether you break the egg by the big end or the little end. So Swift does this uh, because he's pointing out via the means of satire what many of the arguments in his own nation in his own day were like. But when I hear that, I can't help but thinking Jesus probably looked at the Pharisees and said, you guys are being big Indians and little Indians and fighting over all of this silliness which has nothing to do with what life is about, which has nothing to do with what the Word of God is actually about. And the reality is, I wish I could say, oh, those silly Pharisees, oh, those silly people of Lilliput, but we have the same problem today. We are so tempted to major on the minor and to miss what God is actually interested in. So we want to talk today, as we're continuing in this passage of Mark 7, about what is really important to God what does it mean to be truly unclean or clean? And how are we actually cleansed? So let's dig in. So notice here at the beginning, Jesus is turning to the nature of true impurity. Remember this whole chapter had begun with the disciples eating and they had not ceremonially washed their hands and they had come back from the market and the Pharisees said, oh, you have to wash your hands. And remember, this is not using soap and clean, cleansing your hand from germs, this is ceremonial washing that they would, they would do to cleanse themselves from it. And so Jesus had been arguing with them, as we saw last week, about the source of moral authority, but now at the end of it, he stops even talking to the Pharisees and he crawls the crowd around him and he says this, listen to me, everyone, and understand this, nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it's what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. And so Jesus is saying, you need to understand this. It is not that which is outside you that is external to you that makes you impure. It's what's inside you that makes you impure. Inside is where the danger comes from. And so notice here, Jesus is being very clear, and I want to remind us that there is a huge difference between him and the Pharisees on this point. The Pharisees thought that impurity came from outside, and so they had set up all these rules and rituals, and it included, look, if you have to go to the market to buy food, which you're going to have to do, it's going to make you impure, so then you've got to go through purifying rituals to try and do this. Try and stay away from those nasty people, especially Gentiles, as much as you can, but when you have to, we've got some rituals that will clean you up. And Jesus says, that's all insane. That's big Indian, little Indian foolishness that you're going through. Because it doesn't matter if you don't go to the market. What makes you impure is inside you. You can't go away. You can't escape it. It's what's arising out of you that makes you impure. And so if there's going to be purification, it's not going to come by pouring some ritual water over your hands. You're going to have to be changed from the inside out. Which, friends, is both good news and bad news. Because it gets to the true nature of cleansing, but it's a lot easier to follow a few rituals and pour some water on my hands than it is to let the Holy Spirit do surgery on my heart. 
which is why it's not just the Pharisees and the Lilliputians. It's a danger for every one of us. So let's dig in a little bit further. Jesus moves on to start teaching more on this nature of true impurity. If you've been following Mark's gospel, you're not going to be surprised by what we read in verses 17 and 18, which is Jesus has said this. It seems to be really clear. Nothing outside makes you impure. It's what comes out of you that makes you impure. And the disciples get off and say, this is like rocket science, Jesus. What what does this parable mean? And Jesus, being ever merciful, looks at them and says, are you really this dull? (laughs) I mean, you got to (laughs) love. I I love that that's put there. You you cannot be this dull. We've been walking around for a long time. This is not that complex. But if you've been following the gospel, we're not surprised at all, are we? I mean, you just know, like Jesus says something, what's going to happen when they get alone? Jesus is going to say two plus two equals four, and the disciples are going to be like, we didn't understand that deep math you were talking about, Jesus. We're we're like confused about this. And so Jesus looks at him and he says it, but please understand, he's been teaching and training them, and part of why he's saying it is, look, I'm shocked you're so dull. This is not something new. The entire Old Testament pointed to, towards this. We're going to see some of this today, and we're going to do it even further next week. This is exactly what the Scriptures want. Why are you having a hard time understanding this? It was never about ceremonies. It was always about the heart. This morning, I'm not even going to be delving into it, but in Isaiah 1 to 3, I was in my scripture reading, reading the Bible through, I was reading Isaiah 1 to 3, and Isaiah immediately is saying, why, why are you trampling my courts and coming in and you're doing all of these ceremonies, but your hearts are full of wickedness? Don't you understand? I'm after purifying your heart. That's just the beginning of Isaiah's gospel. You could pick almost anywhere, just open your finger and go into the prophets and you're going to find this. And so Jesus is saying, how have you guys missed this? This is not like it's brand new. We've been here. You hear this read week after week after week in the synagogue, and then you act like I just said something crazy. Why are you struggling with this? But see, it's going to have huge implications on how we read the law, which is what we're going to go into next week. They wanted to, again, they come away with out of it. Is it the big end or the little end? And Jesus said, well, what are you talking about? You are missing what God's law is actually about. So we'll dig into that more next week. But notice here, Jesus then, he explains it further. Okay, let me, let me drive back and explain this to you all. Uh, particularly in verses 18 to 23, he says, don't, don't you see that nothing that comes in from the outside can make him unclean? You can eat whatever food you're wanting. You can have your hands washed or not washed. That can't make you unclean. And again, the point here is not germs. The point is whether I am pure before God. And he says that that doesn't change you because notice when you eat food, it doesn't go into your heart. Where does it go? Into your stomach. And then not to be too indelicate, but Jesus said, and then it goes from your stomach out of your body, okay? And interestingly enough, the Pharisees considered what comes out of your body, that was ritually clean. Not getting near a Gentile, but what comes out of your bowels was still ritually clean. You might have to question your religion 
if that's what you've come up with. I'm just going to say, okay? And so Jesus says, look, it just you eat food and it goes through you and it does what it does. It gives you nourishment. It strengthens your body. Then it goes out. It served its purpose. That has nothing to do with whether you are pure or clean or not. What comes out of the body is not what's unclean. And, it, and there he's saying, it, it's, he's not talking about your, your, the excrement that comes out that makes you unclean. No, it's what comes out of your mouth. It's what you're thinking in your mind and in your heart. It's what you're doing with your hands. That is what makes you unclean. Not, not the food that you ate, not whether you touched a Gentile when you were in the market and do it. So what he's saying is the Pharisees have everything exactly backward. Literally, they are off on every point. What they say is A, Jesus says no, it's not A. B, not B. C, not C. You are literally off on every single point. You, you know every jot and tittle of the law. You've got it memorized. I mean, these people actually even said, if you, I didn't go into this last week, but if, but if you, the, when uh, parts of Daniel were written in Aramaic, some of them said if you actually handled the scroll with the original Aramaic, that made you unclean. I mean, they are down to every jot and tittle. And meanwhile, the same people, because Jesus healed on the Sabbath, what are they planning to do? Kill him. And he's like, you, so you, you don't get it. So, so you think handling an Aramaic scroll makes you unclean, but plotting to kill me, that's okay. That's literally what is going on here. So notice he's saying that, um, that, that they've got this all backwards. So I'm now going to take time, and I want to break this down and mention five different things that Jesus says truly make us impure. If it's not all that external stuff, what is it that makes us impure? So number one, understand that impurity comes from the inside, not the outside. Now we'll talk about this next week. Mark in a parenthesis puts in in verse 19, it says, in saying this, Jesus has declared all foods clean. That's a little sentence, but that's just wiped out the ceremonial law. Saying it had a point, the point was getting us to Jesus, Jesus is now here, that has fallen away. It is no more. Nothing from the outside makes you impure. So it certainly includes food, but please understand it includes being in contact with the broader culture and the world in the marketplace. It's not that you and I are pure here and then I got to go back out and be with all those nasty people. I'm going back out and they're all the image of God. That's who they are, whether they're a believer or not. I don't become impure by rubbing shoulders with other people. That's not how this works. Okay? And let me, this is Pharisees ancient and modern want to think that the secret to purity is not being around other people. That is not our call. I might point out we are called to go into the world. Okay? Hard to do if all I'm doing is driving by and throwing a tract out the window at them. Okay, they probably don't feel very loved when we do that. I'm just guessing. Okay, but Jesus says it's not that. So it's not being in, 
uh, contact with the broader cultural world. Remember, Mark had told us in verse 4, if you look back, that every time they came back from the market, they had to wash themselves because they got near those dirty Gentiles. Which again, Jesus would say, did you read in the prophets that God was saying he was going to reach out to the Gentiles? He was calling all the Gentiles. Do you remember, Abraham, I'm blessing you so that through you I can bless the nations. You're so busy that you think if you even come near them, you got to wash yourself. So Jesus says it's completely backwards. And so associating with sinners does not make me unclean. They don't make me unclean. I make me unclean. The problem is not them. The problem is me. This is why, see, this is where Jesus starts messing around here. See, when we really understand this, you might understand why we like to go back to ritual hand-washing. That's a lot easier. Because I can ritually hand-wash and just say, I touched them. Rather than, I looked in the mirror and saw my deepest problem. Second point. Impurity comes from moral sin, not violating religious trivialities. Impurity is not whether you're a big Indian or a little Indian. Impurity is that you're having rebellions and chopping off the king's head and doing all kinds of crazy. That's where impurity comes from. It is from violating the moral law. See, the dominant themes for Pharisees then and now, it's not that they didn't care at all about moral things, but the dominant themes for them were following their external rules. And if you do not, they will crush you. They will, they will cut you off. And in the crushing, they're actually violating the moral law. Okay? And again, we see this in our culture today. We are a culture full of both religious and secular Pharisees on both sides. You say anything I don't like, you, you tweet anything I don't like, or exit, whatever it's called now, you do that, I will tweet back and cancel you forever. Jesus loves you. Okay? That's exactly what it is. It's so easy to deal with external rituals. But G notice what Jesus brings up as making us unclean. None of it's about external rituals. He said, this is about your sexual behavior. This is about you stealing from people. This is about you lying and slandering. This is about what is going on in your heart. Notice everything in that list is a moral question. None of them are religious trivialities. Not one of them. And he's being very clear on this. Third point, not only does impurity come from inside, not outside, and not only is it dealing with moral sin, not violating religious trivialities. Impurity comes from breaking God's law, not human standards or traditions. How do we know what is moral versus immoral? This is why Jesus took the time when we looked at the first 13 verses and said, hey, we got to go back. You think it's tradition of the elders. I'm telling you it's the Scripture. Okay? And that's exactly what goes on here. So notice the list that Jesus gives where he talks about murder, adultery, uh, theft. Does anybody remember any place that those kind of sins are mentioned? Like the Ten Commandments? Just rolling right through the second table of the law. All of this. You don't have to dig deep. It's not like you've got to know, oh, I found this strange verse that, you know, geez, I hadn't heard this one since I was a kid. No, this is right in the Decalogue. You repeat it all the time. It's right there. These are very obvious things. 
Um, and he says all of these things are contrary to God's moral law. And so, see, what, what is happening is the Pharisees are saying cleanliness is if you're keeping all of our traditions. And Jesus is saying, actually, you can keep all of those traditions, you can keep all those societal standards and still be unclean because you're actually violating God's moral law. Again, we have the example right there with the Pharisees. There's a, a strange place, it's, it's crazy, um, in John chapter 18, if you're reading, it's on the night that Jesus is betrayed and he's getting ready to be crucified and you remember he's at Pilate's palace and all of the religious leaders are going there, but will they go into the palace? No, why, why can't they? Because if we go into the palace, he's a Gentile and it's Passover and we might be unclean and not able to eat the Passover meal. What is it you want to see Pilate about? Oh, we want to kill God's son. Seriously. So, so you think the problem the father's going to have is that you got in the same building with Pilate, not that when he sent your Messiah, you killed him. Okay, that's an unusual viewpoint. Okay? But that's exactly what they're saying. And see, that, that's a warning. Again, that's not to dump on them. That's a warning to you and me. There are... There, the, the news is full of evangelical pastors who stand up here and preach God's word, and then you find out on Monday and Tuesday they are berating their staff, they, they, are, they are dropping F-bombs all over the place in church staff meetings. I wish I was making this up. Their behavior is reprehensible, but I'm clean. No, you're not. No, you're not. God's after the heart. Do, do you see how Jesus is bringing that up? And so one can do all of that. You can keep all the human traditions, and God say, you're still unclean because you're, you're violating my law. On the other hand, you may be violating what our culture says is holy and important, and God say, but you're still clean in my eyes because you're actually upholding my standard and law. See, this is one of the, the problems that's gone on. Make no mistake, our culture has been in, a, in a, an attempt over the last, this really goes back hundreds of years into the Enlightenment, but it's really kicked into high gear since the, the 1950s and 60s, we're, we're wholesale trying to change what it means to be moral and what it means to be immoral. So, so if you go back to a certain point, even in the 60s, if I stood up and said certain behaviors were sexually immoral, everybody said, you're right. Then it came to a place where it was like, well, I'm not sure if they're really immoral. Now it's come to a place where you're immoral for saying that's immoral. And the entire point is, I don't really care about any of that. What I care about is Jesus right here told me what's moral and immoral. And it doesn't matter, uh, you know, uh, you, you can move to another thing. You can move to, you know, Gordon Gecko. You remember in the, the Wall Street movie back in the days? Greed is good. Okay, well, Jesus says it's not. And it doesn't matter if the whole culture says it's good. It's not good. It's in fact destructive. It's in fact 
deforming. And so that's why last week we saw before Jesus even got here, he spent the 13 verses saying, okay, the first thing we got to deal with is we have two different sources of moral authority. You think it's tradition of the elders. I'm telling you it is the written word of God. Now, the fourth point, impurity includes thoughts, actions, and dispositions. If we thought it was bad before. See, Pharisees want to just work on the outside. Okay, we want to, you know, this is why later Jesus is going to pronounce woes and say, you guys are like dead men's tombs. You are beautiful on the outside, but when I open the door, you are full of dead men's bones. Okay? Notice in the list, Jesus begins with evil thoughts. You can't see this in English, but it's got evil thoughts, and then there are six plural nouns in Greek and then six singular nouns. He's kind of building off. So he said, look, it starts with your thoughts, but then there's a bunch of these that are actually actions. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, these are all discrete actions, okay? But notice he's also got dispositions, greed, malice, uh, envy are not external actions, they're internal dispositions, so notice what Jesus is doing here and listing all of this. He's, he's saying, look, impurity includes your thoughts, it includes your actions, it includes the way your heart is turned. All that. Even if, so, so notice, I might avoid actual theft, which is what the Pharisees are trying to say, don't actually steal. But Jesus says, but is your heart greedy? Because if your heart is greedy, see, this is, this is where it really gets to be a problem, isn't it? Who, who would like to go back to we'll just wash our hands? See, this is why we want to do this. Because now, you, you mean when I'm struggling with envy down in my heart? Lord, I, you, you, you mean I need the Spirit to work there? Y yes. Yes, you need the Spirit to work there. So I might avoid murder. Does anybody remember in Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, Tony preached from the very end of it a few weeks ago, and Jesus said, it's not just whether you've murdered them, if you've been angry in your heart, you, you, you've already done it. See, Jesus is always driving down because what he's saying is, is, do you understand? That's what the Word of God was always after, which is why, interesting, when you go through the Ten Commandments, the last one is, thou shalt not covet. See, all the others are external actions. But at the end, God's saying, but I want you to understand there's an internal disposition. Because if you start with coveting, you're going to end. If you covet something long enough, lying about your neighbor, taking from your neighbor, committing adultery against your neighbor, murdering your neighbor becomes doable because it started in the heart. And so Jesus says that's where impurity begins. And then he finally, what he's telling us in this, the last point is that not only impurity comes from inside, not outside, 
that it is dealing with moral sin, not violating religious trivialities, that it is breaking God's law. It's not about human traditions. And it includes my thoughts, actions, and dispositions. Here's the ultimate bad news. Impurity arises from a sinful heart and nature. It's not external to me. See, Jesus says this comes up out of your heart. And let's be honest, if we read that list, I won't do it, how many of us are guilty? And if you're breathing, I mean, because see, what happens is it comes from within. Sin is not forced upon us by outside forces. And that's always what we want to do. Our culture is expert at this now. Whatever problem I've got, somebody else calls it. And please hear me, that is political liberals, political conservatives. It doesn't matter who you, you, you can be an atheist, you can be a Christian. Everybody is wanting to say, my problem is them. And Jesus is saying, no, your problem is you. Your problem is what's going on inside your own heart. And you need deliverance from that. And so Jesus says, look, impurity is a matter of what comes from within. And so the Pharisees, they believe that they're internally pure. So all they had to do was protect themselves from external impurity. And if I do come into contact with it, I just do a little external cleansing and I'll be okay. But Jesus is saying, no, the human problem is we're actually internally impure and corrupt. And you're going to need redemption from outside yourself. What the outside is going to bring is redemption, not impurity. You already got plenty of that on your own. And here's the reality. If you ever, you know, we could go back and look at another uh, great book, Lord of the Flies, where the, you remember the young boys go off on the island by themselves? And what's interesting in the book is, does anybody remember which boys turned quickest and became just savages? It was the most cultural among them. It was, it was the ones who were, you know, they were the, the, the ones who had been trained uh, greatly in music and were the most educated. They're the ones who turn quickest on each other. And what he was saying in that book is, look, you, you can go off on an island by yourself. You can be away. It's not culture causing this problem. That problem is inside. And as soon as everybody's not watching, I, I'm reading a Pulp Fiction novel right now, and, and a big part of it is when a historic event, when the lights went out in 1977, I think, in New York City. Anybody want to guess what happened when the lights went out and the city was without power? Who believes everybody started giving things to their neighbors? <laughs> Who believes people broke in and started looting everywhere and there was mayhem and murder? Man, the lights go out, and that's what Jesus says, because it's in your heart. It's in your nature. So I'm going to throw up here on the screen, notice these points again. This is what is impurity. See, and the disciples were confused because they were thinking the way the Pharisees had taught them to think. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. Be really, really clear. This is what impurity looks like. Now, how do we apply this? Number one, because impurity is not ritual but moral, cleansing can never come from religious rituals. Okay? We won't, uh, Jesus didn't tease that out right here, but the book of Hebrews brings that out for us. The book of Hebrews says, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, never, 
by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Somebody help me. Why were the Jews sacrificing? Who told them to do that? God. But notice what the writer is saying. But by the very fact you had to do them year after year after year, God was pointing something out to you. They weren't actually removing your sin. They were covering it over. So it says, if they could, would not they have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once and for all, would never have felt guilty for their sins. But the sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So the law said, do these ritual things, but all it's doing is covering until the real lamb comes. And once the real lamb comes, you don't need to do that stuff anymore. Because when he offers for sin, you will be cleansed. Ritual sacrifices can never really cleanse our sin. Because see, sin springs from inside in the depths of our soul. So a little blood or a little this dabbed on you cannot cleanse your sin. You need something that will penetrate down to the heart. Which is the second point. Because sin is internal and deep, I need deep internal cleansing, which is provided by the sacrifice of Jesus. The writer to Hebrews continues in verses 10 to 12 and says, we have been made holy. What a great word. We've been made holy. Not because I managed to stay out of the marketplace, not because I did all the ritual washings. How have we been made holy? Through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right. Do you hear the difference again and again? And we're doing this and it's over and over and it never, ever works. Jesus comes and says, I did it once. Done, sit down, over. That is the difference between the religious rituals and the actual cleansing. Through the sacrifice of Jesus, and notice what he says, we are holy. Holy. Not neutral. Not partway there. We have been made holy. Absolutely cleansed and purified. And Jesus's atoning work is done. Brothers and sisters, this is justification. I can wash all day long and be impure. But when I am washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, I am holy. I stand before the blinding holiness of God, and he says, accepted. That is the gospel. That is what Christ has done for us. But like the commercials in the 70s, there's more. Okay, if you call now. Because the third thing is because sin is internal and deep, I need the internal change given by the new covenant. Because even when Christ has cleansed me from the penalty of my sin and I am declared holy by God, how many of you know we still struggle with sin? But we are not left to our own devices. I'm going to go, there's multiple scriptures we could go to. I'm going to bring up two quickly in the, in the Old Testament. This is again why Jesus was saying, are you so dull? 
This is just a couple of passages in the Old Testament. Jeremiah chapter 31, uh, verses 31 to 33. God is speaking to the people. Remember Jeremiah saying, you all, are, you all are in exile because you never kept the law. You violated God's law time and time and time again. Prophet after prophet after prophet came and called and it never made a change. So what does God say is going to happen? The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them. Do you hear what he's saying? You, you were spiritual adulterers. You ran off and you prostituted yourselves. My covenant was perfect, but you are broken. And therefore, I'm going to make a new covenant. And here's what he says it's going to be in verse 33. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. When Jeremiah wrote that, where was the law? External, outside, speaking the truth of God. But where was my sin problem? Internal. Where did Jesus say it arises from? The heart. I don't need an external law. I mean, I do need it to point out and remind me that was wicked, Brett. But see, that doesn't change me. So the new covenant says not only is my sin forgiven, God says you need a change of heart. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do radical heart surgery. And I'm going to start writing the law of God inside. It'll no longer be outside of you on a tablet of stone thundering against you and telling you that you deserve judgment. It's going to be inside you. So that now, not only is there the, the, the sin trying to come out, now my law is in there. What I'm calling you to be and to do is inside of you as well. It's in your heart and in your mind. So it's now affecting your disposition, it's affecting your thoughts, and it can start affecting your hands, your actions. Another passage real quickly. In um, uh, Ezekiel chapter 36, so we've seen not only is the law now in the new covenant as deep as my sin nature, Ezekiel puts the new covenant this way. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Hear what Ezekiel is saying. Look, your problem is your heart. You have a heart of stone. You have a heart that is dull towards me. You have a heart that beats sin. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to change that heart. I'm going to give you a new heart, and I'm going to write my law on that heart. But not only that, I'm going to put my spirit inside you. So when sin is beating this way and the law that's written on your heart is telling you to go this way, the spirit's going to be there to help guide you, to help empower you to be able to walk in the law. Friends, that is, that is such good news. For you and me. That is the glory of the new covenant. So while ceremonial washings and sacrifices could never cleanse our sin, the sacrifice of Christ has made us pure. And while God's law could point out our sin, it could never empower us to resist sin. But God says, I'm going to write the law inside you, and I'm going to put my spirit in you to root out that sin and to day by day by day conform you to the character of Christ. This is the glory 
of the new covenant. And it's what the Pharisees missed. But let's not make a mistake. There's a reason that they are tempted to miss it, and so are we. Because as the Spirit is working day by day by day, can that be painful? Do I like to look in the mirror and say, I have met the problem and it is me? It's easier to say, they are the problem. The problem is outside me. It's easier to say, I'll do a little ritual. I'll wash my hands. I'll read three Bible verses. Offer a quick prayer and I'm good to go. When the Holy Spirit is saying, no, there's sin down in there and I love you too much to leave it in there because it's deforming you. It's twisting you. It's making you a slave instead of setting you free. And I want to see you set free. But it's scary. It's, it's, it's hard. We've all, you know, Greg in his testimony talked about, you all know when you're going in for serious surgery, am I saying, hey, what a lovely day. This is awesome. Or B, this is scary. Let me tell you, when the Holy Spirit starts saying, I'm going to do surgery deep down inside, that's a scary proposition. And we are tempted to say, can I go back to the religious rituals? That seems easier. But it won't really deal with our sin. So we're going to come to the Lord's table, and we're going to be reminded of Christ's cleansing work and we're going to receive power from the Holy Spirit because the amazing thing is, as in everything, the Old Testament symbols were just pointers forward. They weren't actual means of grace. But in the New Covenant, because the Holy Spirit is given to every one of us, this isn't about ritual. The Spirit wants to meet us and do His deep work. So I'm going to begin by reading, just real briefly, in Romans chapter 7 beginning at verse 22 and going to chapter 8, verse 4. Hear God's word and see if this is not true in our own lives. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Does that sound familiar? I mean, this is Paul the Apostle writing this. And his answer, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, and that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin and sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. The good news in that is in the new covenant, we're not left with God just saying, okay, I'll forgive the sin. God is saying that sin is destructive. It is the disease eating at you. And know that by my spirit, I want to free you from that. 
I want to remove that from your body. I don't want to mask it with some drugs to cover up the symptoms. I want to actually deal with it. And that's what the Lord graciously promises to do. He does that through his word, and he also does that as we come to the table by the Holy Spirit. So as you think, if the Lord has brought something up in your heart or mind today, and I say, Lord, you've revealed something that I've been wrestling with, let's come to the table, receive grace and forgiveness, but let's come to the table and say, Holy Spirit, I'm laying myself out. I'm asking you to deliver me, to free me, to transform and change me. When we pass the elements out in a moment, they'll be coming by in the tray, and there's, remember there's two in the cup. Uh, grab both. There's two cups. Grab both of them as you do it. And I again remind you, you do not have to be a member of our congregation. You have to understand what I've been talking about the last number of minutes. You're saved by what Christ did, not by anything that you can do. If you believe that, you are welcome, and please come to the table with us. For what I receive from the Lord, I pass on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he given thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the same way after supper, he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood, which is poured out so that your sins may be forgiven. Drink from this, all of you, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We're going to go ahead and pass out the elements. And I encourage you again, take a moment and let the Spirit speak to you. Where is he wanting to work to give us true cleansing and freedom? Is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ. Lord, each week at this table, we are reminded of the depth of our sin and of the fearful cost of our redemption, the very life of your Son. Lord, we confess that our sin ran to the depth of our being, infecting our every thought, word, and deed. But in taking this bread, we also confess that Jesus bore our humanity fully and was broken in our place. And through his redemption, our sins are forgiven, and to us, his righteousness is given. Thanks be to God. Take and eat. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ. Lord, how great is the redemption you have worked for us. For though our sins were piled to heaven, your blood has cleansed, redeemed, and purified us so that we are fully forgiven and adopted sons and daughters of God. We thank you for your blood, forsaking all other hopes of salvation and fully receiving its cleansing power anew. Thanks be to God. Take and drink. Let's stand together and cry out for God by his Holy Spirit.
to work powerfully now and through this week. Lord, like the Apostle Paul, we are grateful for your law, which is holy and good and perfect, and through which we saw our sin. But we too have discovered that the law is powerless to break the power of sin in us. So we give you thanks for the gift of your powerful Holy Spirit who sets us free from the law of sin and death and who works in us so that the righteous requirements of the law might be met in us as we walk with and by the Spirit each day. So Lord, we ask, fill us anew with your Spirit and power. Lord, reveal, convict, and break the power of sin in our lives. Lord, empower us to live in the freedom of the children of God. Lord, cut deep into our souls, slicing away whatever is not of you, so that we might experience the joy of overcoming Satan and sin, and becoming more like Jesus. Lord, we ask that you would do all of this in the name of the Lord Jesus, our Redeemer and King. And God's people say, amen. Now may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Brothers and sisters, go forth full of confidence because you are blessed. So go forth and be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.